0: And so when we look at the actual development of the early church, we see this was primarily an African-slash-Asian religion. The greatest center of early Christianity was an Afro-Asiatic city, which is Alexandria. And this is where the great uh, early theologians, uh, the church, were centered, men like Athenaeus and Alexander and... Tertullian and Origen, even Augustine himself considered the father of medieval theology, Mm. almost all of them are African.
1: Welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast for curious faith discussions. This week's recommended reading for our podcast is a book by Thomas Oden entitled, How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind, Rediscovering the African Seedbed of Western Christianity. Our guest today is Dr. Trevor Oregio, Chair of the Church History Department at Andrews University and a specialist on Reformation history. Today, we are discussing the non-Western African history of Christianity, as well as the contributions of African intellectualism to our modern understanding of Christianity. We'll also be discussing the Western experience for African slaves who became Christians during the span of slavery in the US. It's an incredibly enriching topic that you don't want to miss. If you'd like to listen to some of our other podcasts, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts at AdventNext. Or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at the handle at AdventNext. My co-host today is Michelle Odinma, seminary student and legendary singer-songwriter. You can follow her at Michelle Odinma Music. And as always, I'm your host, Kendra Arsenault, and this is AdventNext. You taught a very interesting course a couple years back. Uh, what was the title of that course again?
0: History of African American Religion. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I thought it was uh, very interesting. You sent me the outline, and I was like, I really want to do a podcast on this yeah. topic because it. I feel like it's so relevant. You know, going to kind of a secular university, a lot of the. Uh, rhetoric is that the, the Bible was written from a Western uh, perspective, and it was used solely as a tool of oppression. It's a fabricated account. Um, and even though uh, there's no question the Bible has been used as a tool of oppression, people have justified slavery through it. Um, and I want to just kind of get a little bit of the non-Western history of Christianity. Is, is the Bible really a Western uh, fabrication, or what is the true non-Western history of Christianity?
0: And I've heard this notion being banded about for a while uh, that Christianity is a Western religion. You know, I've heard a lot of Muslims saying it's the white man's religion. You know, that's a way of oppressing us blacks. But in order for us to understand Christianity, we have to go back to its roots. And uh, just think about the place from which Christianity emerged, you know, Palestine. So we could look first at the geography uh, geographically, Palestine is connected with Africa and with Asia. It sits right there as a kind of uh, in the centerpiece between the two continents. In fact, mm-hmm. some historians identified Palestine at that time as northeast Africa. Uh, Christianity is embedded right there in the context of Africa. Now we can go back beyond Christianity mm-hmm. and consider Abraham. Mm. Uh, who's considered the father of the Jews, who spend uh, time in Africa. Joseph spent time in Africa, and the people of Israel spent 430 years in Africa. Now, when we come to the New Testament, uh, we know that the first non-Jewish convert was an Ethiopian. He was an African. Mm. Yeah. The first non-Jewish convert to the early church was an African who then takes the religion back uh, into Africa. And so when we look at the actual development of the early church, we see this was primarily an african asian religion. The greatest center of early Christianity was an Afro-Asiatic city, which is Alexandria. Yeah. Mm. Uh, although uh, it was named Alexandria, but it was in Egypt, but it was an African city. Yeah. And this is where the great... Uh, early theologians, uh, the church, were centered. And uh, when you look at the names of the early church fathers, you know, starting with uh, men like Athenaeus and Alexander and Tertullian and Origen, even Augustine himself considered the father of medieval theology, mm. almost all of them are African. So mm. uh, the, the, wow. the first 300 years of Christianity had its its roots, Uh, its foundation in the continent of Africa itself.
2: Wow. Well, so with that, since it, I guess, a lot of people don't know, I didn't know that before, you know, uh, taking your course in the seminary. um, How did African intellectualism and early development of Christianity within Africa kind of, Contribute to our Western understanding of Christianity Okay,
0: So that's that, that's a, a good uh, question. I want to refer you to a book written by Thomas Oden called "How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind: Rediscovering the African Seedbed for uh, Western Christianity." And in that in that particular book, uh, by the way, Oden is a white scholar. He lays out actually seven areas where. Africa is actually shaping Western Christianity. So what we need to understand is that the movement of Christianity is a southern movement to a northern movement. All of the, the intellectual platform of, of the religion is being established in Africa, and it's moving west and north. The birth of what we call the university system, Mm. was already established in Africa, and eventually it moved towards Europe. So that's one thing. A second, the great African thinkers of the early church, as I said, I've I've identified a few of them, are all from Africa.
1: And I I think... But we talked about this a little bit before, but like, you know, we're looking at the foundations of Christianity, Christianity exactly. the, the Trinity even was something that was really formulated in, in Africa. You have Athanasius, yeah. one yeah. of the most fiercest proponents of right. what we understand today as the Trinity. Yeah,
0: the divinity of Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's, it's a fantastic, uh, you know, it's a fantastic contribution that we don't necessarily hear uh, when we're yeah. understanding the history of Christianity. Right
2: so um so we know that like through egypt and you know abraham and joseph like you mentioned earlier we see the african connection there um and then i think of the queen of sheba and solomon and they have that experience was that kind of the introduction into the east uh of africa ethiopia is in the east um
0: Uh, yeah so as i mentioned to you uh Judaism, you know, preceded Christianity, and Africa already had a long-standing relationship with Judaism uh, through earlier contacts with uh, the Queen of Sheba, and as I mentioned, uh, Abraham and Joseph, and the Jews, the, the Hebrew people spent over 400 years in Africa. Right. And, of course, Jesus himself, uh, Mary and Joseph, went down into Africa. What we also know is that many of the what they call the diaspora Jews mm were in Africa, in Alexandria. In fact, Philo, one of the great Jewish philosophers, he was in in Alexandria, Egypt. So that's one of the reasons why we know that Christianity developed very much in Africa because Christianity tend to follow where the dispersed Jews were, and many of them were in Africa. Uh, I mentioned Alexandria as an important uh, city, but there's also Car- Carthage. Much of nord- what we call Northern Africa today—Morocco, Tunisia, Algeria, uh, Northern Sudan—all uh, of these countries came under African, inf- I mean, Christian influence uh, long before uh, Islam was even heard of.
1: On, on that vein, you're talking about Islam. You know, a lot of times we think that uh, Christianity and its rise to power came in 300 when Constantine came to power. Is that true? I mean, when did Christianity really become this? When did Western Christianity really become the center of power? And what, what were some of the factors that happened? Well, it, so that. It, it, it
0: began to move towards what we call the West and the north, with the ascension of Constantinople. If you recall, when Constantinople took over the Roman Empire, he moved from the west and he made Constantinople in Turkey, uh, a city in Turkey, his, his new capital. And uh, he he, get, he tend to give preference, since there were many varieties of Christianity, he tend to give preference to a certain brand of Christianity, which is going to emerge and essentially controlled what we now called. Western Christianity and, the, and the, the preference that he would give to this variety of Christianity would be the Christianity that was under the control of the Bishop of Rome. Uh, okay. And so over the subsequent years, this branch of Christianity begins to emerge and essentially uh, suppress all the other varieties of Christianity. So by time we get to the time of uh, Gregory the Great, uh, if you recall, he's a transitional figure from the early church to the medieval church, by the time we get to Gregory the Great, he died, I think, in 604 AD, uh, what we now call Western Christianity under the control of the Bishop of Rome is going to become the dominant form of Christianity, especially in the West.
2: Yeah. Mm. So there is a lack of um, knowledge about uh, Non-Western Christianity. Where do you think that was lost? How? Why don't we talk about okay. more of Africa? Why don't we talk about all of these other places that had a big influence on yeah. Christian, Christian thought? Uh,
0: very good question. A lot of times when people look at an event, they tend to look at it from their present uh, perspective rather than looking at it from the the ori- origin of a particular you know sure. religion or whatever. But I think part of the the reason has to do with the fact that. As Christianity was taken over in the West by the Bishop of Rome, there was another Christianity in the East and in the South, Mm -hmm. which was thriving. But with the the rise and the emergence of Islam, Mm -hmm. that Christianity, which was very strong in these countries that I've identified, would eventually over time be replaced by Islam. Uh, So all these countries that I've named, Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco, Egypt, Sudan, would actually become Islamic countries.
2: Mm. Like all of the Uh, north.
0: All all of the northern part. And (laughs) and of course, it would begin to come down to Western Africa and eventually Eastern Africa. Mm. So, So over time... What Islam did was they took over all of these great uh, Christian monasteries, the libraries, the churches, and made them into, into Islamic institutions. Mm. And all of the great Christian sites were lost. The libraries were lost. You know, monasteries were shut down. So that form of Christianity essentially w- was became little known to scholars in the West. Mm. Uh, and uh, so when people think about Christianity, they don't think of the Christianity in its early form that was in Africa and in that part of Asia, but they think primarily of the Christianity in the West, which has a, a, a longer history of continuity, and therefore we have more records uh, so we can learn better about them. And so people think Christi- of Christianity primarily in the West and not in these mm. parts we have identified.
1: When did Christianity really become, you know, the strength in the West? Like, it, what was it during the time of Constantine, or did that happen well, later it, during this time that you're talking about? It
0: began in Constantine, as I said, because Constantine began to, begins to favor a certain variety of Christianity. It took a while uh, we would say probably in the year 1054, there was a schism between what we call Eastern Christianity and Western Christianity. So, around the, in that first millennium, uh, it, it began as I said before, but the, that the schism in 1054, Western Christianity is going to emerge and essentially become the primary voice of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And all other varieties of Christianity that did not conform. Mm-hmm to this brand of Christianity would be exterminated.
1: Yeah. Wow, Wow! it seems like there's such a rich history that was lost in Carthage and all of these amazing uh, Alexandria, these libraries, mm-hmm. um, because of the influence of Islam. Right. And then all of that got pushed into Western Rome, and then that kind of... Right. shape the narrative yeah. of what we see today.
0: And as we said earlier, you know, most of the great, none of the great scholars came from Rome, you know, the early church. They're all from uh, the East or from Africa, yeah. <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Rome was not really about scholarship and uh, theological intellectualism as such.
1: Yeah. Wow. Uh, who are some of the, the, those primary scholars? There's Athanasius, there's...
0: There's the Bishop of Alexander, there is uh, Tertullian, there's yeah. a- Augustine himself, there's Origen. Uh, there's a whole host of them.
1: Wow. Transitioning into, um, you know, the religious history of African-Americans in here, in America uh, and Christianity within the United States. What ways uh, is the Western narrative of Christianity in the U.S. different from the African narrative of the arrival in the U.S.? And a lot of times we see uh, America as like, oh, it's a promised land that we've come to. Uh, and an escape from you know European persecution but that was not particularly the history of African Americans in their arrival to the United States. All right.
0: So by time the uh, the Christians uh, the American Christians came to what we call the Americas, Christianity and what we call western culture had become one. Mm. Western culture essentially had co-opted Christianity. So Christianity was now being interpreted primarily through the eyes of Europeans. And there was a lot of perversion about it. Mm. So when they brought this religion, this so-called religion, this Christianity, essentially it was what I call a white man's religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the creatures were white. The angels, God is white. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's essentially a Eurocentric religion. Right. And just imagine you are a black slave from Africa, and this religion is being put forward to you. But it's a religion that essentially says to you, your place as a slave has been foreordained by by the gods of Christianity. Mm -hmm. This was not a religion that was receptive to African slaves because the religion essentially was reinforcing their status as slave and essentially saying that the god of the Christians was in agreement and condone uh, the enslavement of Af- Af- Africans wow. uh, in the Americas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so essentially, the, the, the religion became a tool to justify slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, it became a tool to try to pacify the slaves and to make them more uh, obedient and servile to the wishes of the white masters in America.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it wasn't. So that, that the Bible and the, and the development of Western Christianity you know, was used as a tool of oppression. Right.
0: So so what these, uh, and, and these people are Christians. Yeah. These are not un- non-believers. Mm. These people who are creating this slave systems are Christians. So they, they went back to the Bible, and they, they came up with a series of arguments to justify, theologically justify the existence of slavery. I'll give you a few examples. Mm. They went back to uh, the book of Genesis, and they identified Ham as the children of, blacks, mm. and claim that the children of blacks, their destiny was to be servants. Mm-hmm. They look at Abraham and said, look at Abraham, the father of faith. He had slaves and God blessed him. Wow. Uh, they look at the instructions given about slave in the book of Leviticus and other books, Exodus, and suggest that you know God is in total conformity with the practice of slavery. And then, of course, they appeal to Paul, the apostle, where he talks about you know, servants obey your master. So they they use a whole range of theological arguments to justify the existence of slavery. In their minds, they saw slavery as something that is actually good. Mm. In fact, initially, uh, when they when they brought Christianity to slavery, to the slaves, they wanted to convert the slaves. But they were a little bit reluctant because they were afraid that the slaves would use Christianity as a way of freeing themselves. In other words, the slaves would look for elements in the religion to liberate themselves. So they're a bit Mm -hmm. reluctant. But over time, uh, they began to only selectively use parts of the scriptures essentially to keep blacks in a servile condition and to to give them the idea that it was their destiny, it was their place to be slaves.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. on that same line. So there's a slave Bible. So what what was um, a slave's kind of introduction to Christianity? What did it look like when they okay. were introduced okay. to this religion?
0: So uh, initially, when when uh, Christianity first came to the Americas, there was a standard tradition in English culture that says a Christian cannot hold a fellow believer in bondage. You know, so the English. Uh, early English colonists in America had a dilemma. They had to get around this particular tradition, mm. and so uh, very early, in I think 1667, six the legislature in Virginia decided that even if a even if a slave became a Christian, it didn't alter his mm. condition as a slave. Mm. So very early, uh, they made it clear that if a Christian became I mean, a slave became a Christian, that would he'd still remain a slave. Uh, but of course this was not a positive thing for a lot of slaves who desired to be Christians and they were thinking maybe the slaves would use this tradition as a way of trying to get out of their condition but as I said they made it very clear very early that you know we, we're going to make sure that the law keeps a slave as a slave regardless of their state as a Christian but the turning point for Christians, uh, for slaves and in the introduction to Christianity took place in the, the Great Awakening it was a great religious revival just prior to the American Revolution, and uh, for the first time, Chris—I mean, slaves, black slaves—responded in any great numbers to the Christian message. Mm-hmm. Uh, revivals tend to break down barriers, and whites and blacks. This was actually the first context in which large groups of whites and blacks met together, and in that, the midst of the revival. Uh, people experiencing all kinds of emotional turmoil, Mm. many black slaves actually uh, became Christians. But what is important about this turning point is that the African-American slaves are actually going to reconfigure Christianity. Right. (laughs) They're going to recalibrate it to fit their own situation. In other words, they were not going to take the form of Christianity that was being given to them by the white slave masters.
1: Mm. Wow. Wow. And... I guess I'm always blown away because, you know, I, I I don't doubt maybe the sincerity of some of the, the early, uh, white Christian followers, but I just, I don't understand how they couldn't see their own hypocrisy. What, what was it that happened in the culture that they felt that, you know, a God who was, who released his people from Egypt, that the, um, that he was a God of redemption would also at the same time hold this kind of Cognitive dissonance, where he's enslaving people. Like, what was it? Hypocrisy. Like, what was kind of the the motivation behind all that? I
0: think we could think of it in terms of the economic necessity.
1: Mm.
2: Mm.
0: For example, in Virginia, they needed laborers to uh, for the plantation, that tobacco plantation. They needed hardy, strong workers, and they discovered that the Native Americans were not able to withstand the rigors of labor. And of course, we know the story of how the first blacks came to Jamestown, Virginia in 1619. uh, A a Dutch ship actually brought a group of black slaves uh, to uh, Jamestown, Virginia. These slaves were actually captured from a Portuguese slave ship. Uh, In other words, there was actually slave trade taking place 100 years prior to this, with Uh, the Spanish, and also the Portuguese. But English America, they came in 1619, and they discovered that these Africans were very well acclimated to the the weather of Virginia uh, over time and also to the rigors of labor. And the slave trade essentially took off from there. Mm. But it was out of economic necessity. They realized that they could uh, make great profit Mm. uh, if they traffic you know in 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 human slave especially black slaves so for almost the next 300 years Mm -hmm. it becomes part of the economic policy of English North America Mm -hmm. uh, in bringing black slaves they came uh, to the other British colonies Barbados Jamaica in great numbers
2: so was that the point where they began to try and justify yes. slavery with yes. different means of so, science. And,
0: exactly. You know. So as slave evolved and became an institution, at first the, lo- the rules around slaves were very loose uh, because initially the slaves, the black slaves, actually worked alongside uh, indentured laborers uh, from Ireland. And there was a famous revolt, it's called the Bacon's Revolt, mm-hmm. in which the, the white slave owners recognized that if the indentured white laborers and these black indentured laborers and black slaves got together, it could be a threat to the social order. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they, made, they began to make a distinction based on color. Mm-hmm. It's the wow. beginning of what we call black slavery in America, wow. where now blackness was associated with, with, with slavery. And so over time, that philosophy is going to evolve And it would go beyond slavery, so that even if you were uh, a freed black person, Mm -hmm. you would still suffer the limitations uh, that was imposed on uh, black slaves.
1: Wow, wow! And and I I look at even our culture today. I mean, within the body of Christianity, um, you know, there's a lot of just—I would say, like, just disagreement between brothers and sisters in Christ because of their political views. You know, uh, some people who, you know, who come even from mixed families, one parent who's white is wearing a MAGA hat and the child who is mixed race feels betrayed by their parent to say, how could you side with this person? And I think that that kind of those feelings and those sentiments are still happening uh, between brothers and sisters in Christ. So how in the early days, like how, how did they navigate what, what, what did it mean to be black and Christian? It seems like there's a dual, a dual experience happening okay. there.
0: Well, well, let's back up a little bit. They had another problem that the, the early slave masters had, and that was what do you do with the, the, the children of mixed heritage? Yeah. Uh, well, how do we define their status? Uh, most of these children that were born were born of black mothers, and so they made another law, colonial legislation. They made another law in which they define the the any child born of a black mother would still retain the slave status of the mother mm. because almost all the children that were born were liaisons between white men and black women so all of these children born it they would not be altered their, their status would not be altered based on the status of the father but was based on the status of 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 the mother mm. now As as slavery evolved, you have to understand also that slaves begin to look at America very different from, just like how you have this difference in politics right now between various family members. Slaves begin to look at America not as Canaan land, but as Babylon and Egypt. Mm. These are the two historic oppressive nations of the Hebrew people,
2: mm. right, right, <laughs>
0: Egypt and Babylon, and of course, most of the white settlers coming to America, they see America as what Canaan land. Yeah. Mm. It's a land of endless opportunity, mm. and so we have this we have this kind of uh, uh, a parallel that has actually uh, continue on uh, throughout the nation, where one group, because they're given certain privilege and opportunity and resources. Uh, see America as this great land of opportunity and another group being oppressed sees America as a land Babylon they see it as a land of oppression Egypt the, you know these historical enemies of of, of 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 the Hebrew and what the these black Christians essentially began to do they began to see themselves as the ancient Hebrews mm. they took on the spirit they took on the, the thinking of these ancient Hebrews that mm. they are the oppressed people
2: yeah
0: uh, uh, But just as how God delivered the ancient Hebrews, they had the confidence and the assurance that ultimately God would bring them deliverance.
1: If you like today's broadcast and you'd like to find out additional information on today's topic, you can read more in Thomas Oden's book, How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind. You can also check out numerous articles written by our guest, Dr. Trevor Oregio, on both the African-American religious experiences, along with Reformation history on the digital commons at Andrews University. Stay tuned for next week as we continue to explore the African-American religious experience as we learn from our past to make more informed decisions in our today. Thanks again to the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible, and thank you for taking the time to listen in. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please follow us on Instagram or YouTube at Advent Next. See you next week.